Welcome to SEAC Stories. My name is Tashara Dibley and I'm one of the deputy directors at the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre. You're listening to one of our episodes recorded specially as part of our ASEAN Forum 2020, which is looking at the impacts of the global pandemic COVID-19 on the region, on ASEAN. Today, we will be speaking with Dr. Sandra Sino-Alde, who is a lecturer in the Sydney Business School, and she's also a member of the executive committee of the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre. Before she embarked on her academic career, Sandra was a consultant to a wide range of medium to large scale companies specializing in international business development and organizational development. And she has been doing some work on risk assessment across the region. And she will be talking today on the economic impacts of the pandemic across the region. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you, Tush, for having me. It's a pleasure. So maybe you could just start us off with a bit of an overview on how the region has responded to the pandemic. I understand there's not a lot of data at this stage and things are evolving, but can you give us a little bit of a snapshot on how the region has responded economically? So the countries in the region have responded pretty much in the same way as other countries. So they locked down people, they locked down businesses, they closed borders. But I guess the differences in the various responses across countries in the region comes down to timing and the length of the lockdown. So Thailand and Vietnam, for example, responded pretty quickly and very early. Singapore attempted to lockdown, but then lifted restrictions fairly early as well. And so they experienced their second wave quickly after that first lockdown. So the, the responses across the region are very similar uh, to other countries. Uh, the differences uh, have been in the timing and the extent of the lockdowns. As we discussed, it is sort of an ongoing um, event. And, and given that it will take time for us to get good data on the true extent of the COVID-19 damage, how can we best evaluate the economic impact of this ongoing crisis in Southeast Asia? So in the absence of ongoing data as the crisis unfolds, the best option for us is to look at the pre-crisis state of the region and the individual economies in the region, because the pre-crisis state should give us a pretty good idea of how the individual countries in the region might respond to a crisis. It's pretty much like the three little pigs, right? So the three little pigs built different kinds of houses, a house of straw, a house of sticks, and a house of bricks. And the way that they built their individual houses made a difference when the crisis finally hit. It's, it's pretty much the same principle uh, when we try to evaluate the potential crisis impact on an economy and on the region. Okay, so understanding how a house is built gives us an idea of how well it can weather the storm. Can you give us some insights from your research into how the Southeast Asian economic house is built? Over the past several years, my focus has been on understanding the economic structure of the region from the perspective of networks. So I'm looking at intra-regional and extra-regional trade network structures. ASEAN presents a really interesting case because it's functioned very differently to what a conventional integrated region might look like. So in 1967, ASEAN was formed. So the 
various countries in ASEAN came together and they said, yep, we're going to be friends and we're going to uh, integrate ourselves economically. And that wasn't a novel thing to do. In fact, it's what many other uh, regions in the world were doing at that time. And the biggest experiment in regional integration was, of course, the European Union. So at that point in time, 1967, many other regions were integrating, declaring friendship and preferential trade relationships with each other. ASEAN was different to other integrated regions in that this integration wasn't exhibited in behavior. So just to contrast uh, ASEAN with other regions, the European Union immediately turned to each other for intra-regional trade. It's called trade diversion. So all the trade which would have occurred outside the European Union were diverted inside the European Union. The consequence was that the countries in the European Union became strong and fast friends. So the European Union Economic House is a tightly knit economic community. By contrast, the ASEAN Economic House is very loosely built because as soon as the ASEAN countries declared friendship with each other, they didn't immediately trade with each other. In fact, trade with each other has chugged along very slowly. Uh, ASEAN countries have preferred instead to trade with other countries outside the region. So this trade diversion didn't actually happen in ASEAN. Consequently, the structure of the ASEAN Economic House is, is a very loosely connected group of economic friends, if you'd like. So what's the reason that ASEAN countries have chosen not to trade with each other, but to focus outwards? It was the nature of the ASEAN framework. The ASEAN framework in 1967 was really, literally just a treaty of friendship. It was only in 1992 when the region finally decided to turn itself into a free trade area. And even that was really a matter of suggestion. So there wasn't really a compelling mandate to lower tariffs to 0% within the region. Okay, and so what does this mean for the region's risk exposure and vulnerability, having this structure of house? So the European Union, by virtue of its very closely connected nature, means that they're all vulnerable to each other. So let's imagine a situation where you have 20 people, 25 people living in the same house in close quarters with each other. So it only takes one person to get sick to infect the entire household. And it doesn't matter who gets sick, the entire household of 25 gets sick. By contrast, the ASEAN economic house is a much loosely connected house, which means that they're living further apart from each other. And so it doesn't matter if the small and less connected economies get sick. What matters more is if one of the large, highly connected economies gets sick. And those are Indonesia, Thailand, and Singapore. Those are the three largest and internally connected economies in Southeast Asia. So Indonesia, Thailand and Singapore are um, the three most interconnected economies within the region. What are things looking like then in terms of what's happening with the, with the pandemic with these three economies, if they are so important? 
So if the entire intra-regional economy is being held up by these three most connected countries, then the three most connected countries hold the key to rebuilding the internal regional economy. So Indonesia is the largest intra-regional consumer. It takes in a lot of imports from the region. So if Indonesia continues to consume and continues to import from the rest of the countries in the region, then that's a good thing because then that helps the other countries in the region to grow and export to Indonesia. Thailand and Singapore have a much more bilateral relationship with the region. So they're both consumers as well as producers within uh, Southeast Asia. And so it's important that both these countries continue their bilateral relationship within the region so that the internal regional trade network and intra-regional business networks get rebuilt The other countries are not as large and not as connected as Indonesia, Singapore, and Thailand. The Philippines and Vietnam are among the larger economies in the region, but they haven't really established significant intra-regional connections to the same extent as Indonesia, Singapore, and Thailand. So in your video, you talked about how the region was vulnerable because of its close connection to trading partners outside the region. Can you talk a little more about that and what those relationships mean for the region's vulnerability at this time? The region is dependent on China, Japan, South Korea, and India within Asia. And outside Asia, the U.S. is the only major trading partner of the ASEAN region. Why is that significant? Uh, so we've always been told that, you know, you don't put all of your eggs uh, in one basket because if you drop that single basket, then all of your eggs are gone. This is exactly what has happened in the ASEAN region. The ASEAN region has decided to put all of their eggs in a handful of baskets. And now that all of these baskets have essentially dropped because they've gotten sick, then that means that the region has lost pretty much all of its eggs. Uh, so from a risk management perspective, the best way to mitigate risk is diversification. You don't put all of your eggs in one basket, you put your eggs in several baskets. So what's distinctive about the ASEAN economy is that it hasn't cultivated a very diverse trading basket. So for example, none of the EU countries are major trading partners of the region. And so because of this, highly concentrated basket of trading partners that has made the region very vulnerable to this crisis. Well, we've talked a lot about the region as a whole. Um, I was wondering if you have any insights on how individual countries might emerge from this or how individual countries might play a role in the recovery process. Yeah, so Singapore is still grappling with internal effects of the pandemic. Thailand has done a pretty good job of containing it. Vietnam has done a pretty good job of containing it. The Philippines is grappling with many other issues. So Vietnam and Thailand would be the most outward looking. I think there's a significant opportunity for Vietnam to step up. Among the countries in the region, it's Vietnam and Thailand that have established the strongest manufacturing bases. 
And I think Vietnam can position itself as a country that can fill the manufacturing gaps that China may have left. So there's a significant opportunity for Vietnam to play a major role, not just within the region, but to serve the markets that China may have failed to address during the crisis period. And what about countries like Cambodia, or Laos, or Myanmar? All three of these countries have reported very low cases of COVID-19. Do you have any insight on the way the pandemic is playing out in these countries might have on, on their economies? The smaller economies in the ASEAN region will certainly suffer more than the larger ones because any impact on smaller economies will always have much deeper effects compared to larger and more diverse economies in the region. With health systems that are burdened and businesses that are crippled, then the economic and social impact on smaller countries will definitely be much greater. So one other country you haven't mentioned much, and, and we don't hear a lot about it, but Brunei had a, quite a rapid response to the pandemic and seemed to have managed it quite well. Any insights into the economic response in Brunei and, and what role it might play in recovery? Brunei's response was certainly quick uh, and was certainly uh, effective. The issue is that as an economy, it lies on the fringes or on the periphery of the intra-ASEAN trade network. So if it does step up in terms of exporting, for example, its resources, it'll take time for the country to establish the relationships that it needs to establish within the region before it can truly make a larger impact on the regional economy. So from what you're saying, it sounds like in terms of a path to recovery, it really relies on these three main economies that you mentioned earlier, Thailand, Singapore, and Indonesia, continuing trade. You indicated that it's their behavior that could potentially hold the region up during this time. What other pathways are there or are there any other pathways to recovery for the region? So I see two pathways to recovery. Uh, the first one is to undertake the diversification that should have happened years ago. So the region can opt to make other friends and other trading partners outside the region. So that's one option. The other option is to go back to the spirit of ASEAN as an integrated region. And instead of looking outward for friends, then the second clear option is to look inward and make closer friends of existing friendships. So those are the two clear options that I see. But uh, as I said in the video, it's easier to make closer friends of existing friendships rather than attempting to make friends with strangers. So the option with the lowest barriers would be for the region to finally look inward and establish closer ties with each other and help each other out of the crisis. Okay, Sandra, look, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Tush. And for our listeners, don't forget you can ask Sandra questions by posting them on Facebook or YouTube or join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag ASEANforum20. And we will talk to Sandra again at the panel discussion on the 12th of August. You've been listening to SEAC Stories. 
This episode is part of a special series of recordings we're doing for the 2020 ASEAN Forum, which focuses on the responses to the COVID-19 pandemic across the region. Each of our speakers has recorded a video in addition to this podcast, which you can catch on our Facebook page, YouTube channel, or the SEAC website. If you have questions for the speaker, please post them wherever you watch the video or post it on Twitter using the hashtag ASEANforum20. I'll be putting the questions to our panelists during a panel discussion on the 12th of August, which will be recorded and posted on all of our channels as well. See you there.